This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Aloe Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake, and Western Los Angeles. And they were created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a treatment environment that helps addicts and alcoholics by treating them with compassion and connection rather than control, which is a very, very, very admirable and beautiful thing. Their staff has decades and decades and decades of treating addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible. They have amenities you wouldn't believe sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, and so much more. They are not a 12-step-based spot. So if you want to go to meetings, you go to meetings. If you want to meditate, you meditate. It's an amazing place. I have a bunch of friends who have been there who have said really nice things about aloe. So if you're fucked and you need a place to go, I cannot recommend aloe recovery enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. At Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, Email info at soberlink.com and you save 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink help you to stay off the sauce and go to soberlink.com slash dopey. This episode of Dopey is also sponsored by our good friends at Clean Cause, an amazing tasting, sparkling yerba mate beverage that puts purpose behind your daily pick-me-up. They are certified USDA organic and offer low and zero calorie options. This episode is also brought to you by the incredible caffeinated beverage Clean Cause, an amazing tasting sparkling yerba mate beverage that puts purpose behind your daily pick-me-up. You want to get your caffeine and you don't want to drink coffee or Coke, you drink Clean Cause. It is delicious. They are certified USDA organic and offer low and zero calorie options. Do the most with your 160 milligrams of naturally sourced caffeine. And naturally sourced caffeine is obviously much better caffeine. And even more importantly, this is serious, 50% of their profits support addiction recovery, which is major league. If you're an addict out there and you enjoy the delicious taste of yerba mate, which I do, I highly recommend ordering Clean Cause at cleancause.com and you can get crazy savings. 50% 
15% off your next order of clean cause using the code DOPEY. So support addicts out there, support clean cause, support DOPEY, and enjoy your Yerba Mate. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Clean Living Apparel. Are you looking for some clean living apparel? Meaning, are you a member of the Narcotics Anonymous Fellowship or are you a junkie looking for some clothes that represent you? Clean Living Apparel was created by Mr. John G. out of Conway, South Carolina. And his mission was to put out cool clothing and gifts so that addicts can let their freak flags fly with impunity and proudly. And I love clean living apparel. I just bought an NA mug, a pink NA mug, and I'm proud to drink my coffee out of it. I saved money by using the promotional code NA rocks and you can too at cleanlivingapparel.com. One more time, you save money by using promo code NAROCKS at cleanlivingapparel.com. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by you guys in the Dopey Nation through Dopey Patreon. And I can't thank anybody enough who supports Dopey Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. I'm about to start adding some features to the $10 tier. There's going to be extra bonus videos on the $10 tier bonus content. So if you have a few extra bucks and you want more dopey, kick down a little bit more money. I cannot thank you enough. Also, we have crazy merchandise available at dopeypodcast.com. I sold all the trucker hats. I think I have one purple one and one silver one. Let me know if you guys want more. I still have Oyve snapbacks. I'm about to get a new shipment of dopey snapbacks. We got new stickers. If you want any of that stuff, Venmo me. If you bought any dopey merchandise, please post pictures. We want people to see how attractive the people in the dopey nation are. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is a very special fucking show. saying do you think it's possible that that cia people are killing people with shoes with nails that have cancer on I them i think it's more likely that he has dementia and that he worked for the cia and some crazy stuff's coming up maybe it's true i love bob marley um yeah, you like his old stuff i like everything i'm a real fan you know okay let's do a little bob marley song you what's your sing? favorite bob marley song no, no, we gotta. I gotta read one more, more stuff on here. Just relax. Ugh. What's my favorite Bob We're Marley doing song? Dopey. We're not doing Bob Marley. My favorite Bob Marley song. What's your favorite Bob Marley song? You fucking like idiot. Bad card. Let's do bad card. Let's you know bad my, card. I know it very well. It's a great song. I actually. My band used to cover that. It actually bad changes card. over time. You know. What does? My favorite songs. I cycle through different. Are you ready? Yeah. Can you do it? No. Um, no, I can't. You go out tired to see me face. Can't get me out of the race. Oh, man, you say I'm in your face. And then you drop that card. Drop 
propaganda spreading over my name. Say you wanna bring another life to shame. Oh man, you're just a playing a game. And then you draw a bad card. Draw a bad card. And you draw a bad card. You make wrong. I make you draw a bad card. bad card it's a good song i think my whole opinion of you has dramatically changed so hello and welcome to dopey the podcast on drugs addiction and dumb shit and my name is dave and uh if you've never listened to the show the person you just heard in the front singing bob marley's bad card with me horribly was my friend chris who created dopey with me and three years ago this week, he died. And um, and I've never been the same, and the show has never been the same. And every summer, I like to look back at Chris and look back at Dopey and look back at the fragileness of living as a drug addict, uh, using or in recovery. And um, we usually do it twice. We do it on the day he died, and we do it on his birthday. And this year on his birthday, we're celebrating Dopey Day, uh, which is about Chris and about Dopey and about ending the stigma of drug addiction and, and know that not only horrible people are drug addicts, but some nice people are drug addicts and some good people are drug addicts and some people are in recovery that you never would have known are in recovery. And every summer, uh, I it's this crazy feeling of, of sadness and... It fades with time, as loss does. But whenever the show comes around again, uh, it kicks back in. And I was listening to some old stuff with Chris this morning, and it just it, it affects me. It hits me. I It makes me cry. It makes me sad. Uh, I say it every year. I love Chris, and he's gone, you know? And... Uh, is he a lesson in staying sober? Yes. But more than that, he's a person that I love and that made this show with me. And we had so much fun talking about the stupid shit we had done around addiction and in recovery. And it's so, I, I'm just amazed that me and him put this thing together and, and, and you guys liked it. And I know new listeners who listen to the old episodes cannot believe how good uh, Chris was and how much they love him and, and how many people still get annoyed at me that I interrupted him so much. And I just, you know, I want it to be clear there is no Dopey without Chris. And it's very hard to include Chris considering he's so gone. But we do the best we can. And, like, it's funny, like, digging for Dopey music with Chris like, I wish there were a million songs. And, and we have, you know, Baby Back Ribs. We have The Lion Sleeps Tonight. We have Free Fallen. And we have Bad Card. And if you're listening to Dopey and you know of another song off the top of your head that maybe I forgot, send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I would appreciate that. But this week, you know, when you're saying your prayers and you're thinking about life, you know, think about Chris. 
And I decided this week we were going to have Chris's sponsor, Dylan, on the show, who just had a lifetime of debauchery and now a long time in recovery. And one thing that I, I wish I had asked him, because Dylan had set up uh, a halfway house or a or sober house or whatever you call it in Great Barrington, and Chris was working at it, and Chris would always tell me how Dylan wanted him to be the psychologist there. Or Joe Schrank worked with Chris, and, and he always wanted Chris to be his psychologist on call. And um, and I wonder if, if there's resentment there, because I know that, that Chris and I dreamed of Dopey being some gigantic show that we would do together. And I talk about it probably every year. I remember exactly uh, I was at my dad's opulent lake house and I was going to the beach and the show wasn't, you know, he wasn't using at that point. It was, I think, a year before he relapsed. It was definitely a year before he died. And he told me how his dream would have been to make Dopey as his career. And, um, and actually a few days before he died, Actually, the night before he died, we had this heart-to-heart, which I've talked about on the show before. And I am so grateful that we got to have a heart-to-heart because we had been fighting so much up till that point. And again, he said how much he loved making this show and how his dream was to be able to make this show professionally. And I make it semi-professionally. It's my big part-time job, which I, I am incredibly grateful to do. But I think I have some resentment that he's gone. Um, I also just miss him. Uh, I, I, I think I miss him more than I resent him now that I'm actually explaining it. And I'm, and I'm also incredibly grateful to him for letting me do this as much as I do. And just to be super clear, you know, Chris and I started the show. We didn't buy gear. And the reason we didn't buy gear was because I didn't want gear to go sit in the closet and us to waste money. And instead, we did this show every week and we never missed a week for two and a half years. You know, I, I'm not great at math, but that's like 130 weeks in a row. And I don't think I would have kept making this show. And now Sam helps me make the show and we've done it another, I'm not great at math, 200 weeks about after that straight. And I don't think that I would have been so committed if Chris and I hadn't been so committed in the first place. So you know, this is a conversation with Chris's sponsor, Dylan, uh, about recovery, addiction, Chris, Great Barrington, some other shit. There's some turns and other shit in there. So sit back and enjoy the ride. But before I get to Dylan, I just want to thank everybody who is a loyal listener of the show. I've said it a billion times. There is no dopey without the dopey nation. If you are a, a serious participant in this thing called dopey, I thank you. And there's just way too many people out there who are doing incredible work in the dopey community to thank. Because I'll thank 10 of you, and I missed 1,000 and 110 of you who I should have thanked. But I'll thank Cormac, for old time's sake, for doing Reddit. So thank you, Cormac, and thank you to the unnamed uh, legion of dopey supporters out there. Stay strong, dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. And here is Dylan. But before we get to Dylan, I want you to know that Dopey Podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You check out betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast, save 10%, because life is full of stressors, and it doesn't matter who you are or what you have, your life is probably stressful, 
My life is ridiculously stressful all the time. And you may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strain in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash DopeyPodcast. And now, here's Dylan. Dylan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. What's up, everyone? Can you believe it's been three years, man? Dude, it feels like it was yesterday and 10 years ago. It's one of those, you know? It's, yeah, it feels like another another lifetime and yet very recently. Like, I, I feel affected just by the summer after that summer. Like, I always, like, when, when I'm, like, dealing with gardening and shit, I think about him and Todd uh, because it was all happening around our first summer in our house. So it's, like, built into summertime for me now. Like, the trauma of dealing with your friends being dead. Yeah, for sure. That was like such a crazy three months. So you find out like that that's been a thing for you this summer too? I think every summer since then it comes. I I remember like around the time when I had gotten, when, when I was processing the news, I think about Chris, I think there was a dead tree or a like a half dead tree in my yard. Like there's a, it's a pretty tree and it has like, it has pink leaves, but it has a bunch of branches that are shitty and I take great satisfaction in knocking dead branches out of trees because they come out so easily. And I rem- mm-hmm. and I remember after Chris had died, I just spent like hours whacking at that tree. Um, and and whenever I like do outdoor gardening stuff, those feelings come back to me. You know, like it's just it's just a weird sort of thing. Um, th- when does it pop up for you? Yeah, it's, that's interesting that that's when you're my, – mine is like – so I'm obviously it, – it's interesting. I was just like mowing the the yard yesterday of the house that Chris used to live in, and I <laughs> I would do like a ton of yard work, even more so when Chris lived there. We were just like fixing stuff up and doing a lot of stuff, and, uh, and Chris would always like – he'd be watching Star Trek upstairs, and he'd like peek his head out the window and be like, are the men done working yet? <laughs> and like <laughs> – and then, like, stroll out at, like, 3 p.m. with, like, asses and sweatpants. Yeah. Like, looking for something to go to breakfast with when everyone else had been, like, doing shit all day. Different than you and that I have, like, a lot of geographical stuff. And I was going to say, like, also, I was thinking about you gardening. And that's, like, kind of like a, I imagine your life with, like, kids in Manhattan to be, like, pretty fast-paced. And gardening is one of those times when you, like, slow down and it's meditative. Um, totally. And I have those moments, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just had the, I just did my first, uh, fifth step with a sponsee. You know, I never came close to that before and I have the sponsee and he finally wrote out his fourth step and I met with him and, uh, and I have to be honest with you, I felt like a big shot 
you know, being able to do it with him. You know what I mean? Like how many, how many fifth steps have you done? I'm taking, I don't know, a couple dozen maybe. See, but that's a really big, that's a really big marker. I know for guys I sponsor, when they receive a fifth step, I'm always like, I can exhale a little bit. I'm like, okay. They're like fully in the process. They've done both sides of the fifth step. They're going to now have a guy soon who's going to be sponsoring other people. There's like all kinds of kind of like inherent responsibility and leadership and mentorship that happens through that stuff. It's like a really big rite of passage, I think, is taking one, not just giving one. Yeah, exactly. I I was very worried about it, and then it went well, and then I felt like I wanted to go brag about it. I wanted to start telling people, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's like that's totally the opposite of the point of it. Did you have a feeling like that the first time you ever did a a fifth step, or were you cool about it and you didn't feel the need to tell people about it? Well, I mean, I'm sure I understood. I was probably savvy enough to know that that looked like (laughs) bragging. Yeah. So I was probably just like, uh, man, I'd love to do that thing, but I'm taking a fifth step that day, so I don't think I'll be able to come or like right. find a way to humble brag. Yeah, humble brag. And there, but there is at the same time, dude, there's like something to be proud of there, too. And I don't think it's wrong to be like to feel proud that you've made it to that, that you that both that you're like giving up yourself and that you've been involved in the process long enough to be trusted to do something like that. Like, that's a big deal from who you were. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's something that like when I was thinking about talking to you on the show and and when you were on the show last time, you laid down some of the grittiest and grimiest dopey in the history of the show, like that whole crack furniture moving run story Mm. like that was Mm. demented. And now you run sober houses and you sponsor tons of people and you marry people. And, And it's like. I'm coming up on six years and I'm very happy about it. And I feel very proud that I did this fifth step. But when I'm thinking about you, like, is it weird to align the ridiculous person that you were versus the person that you are? And is it just, or is it just time makes it easy? Oh man. Well, I mean, we, I mean, so many people in recovery get to have this like total 180, the biggest contrast, that like the human life can experience in a lot of ways. Like we get to be like homeless and then millionaires or totally useless and locked up to volunteering and helping people. Like all those things are in the cards for us as recovered people. Um, so I, I, I think about it a lot. I mean, I'm, I, I talk about it a lot. I think it's amazing. Um, time is a thing. Experience is a thing. It's just like also not taking yourself too seriously is a thing. So it's like, all my growth pretty much is through the 12 steps. And it's just like, you just go to meetings and then try to let whatever this new way of life, like flow through and you take it one situation at a time, one decision at a time. And it just like happens one inspiration at a time. Right. And, and this, it just like, yeah, shows up. the thing that you just said that really struck with me is, is uh, the idea that like you can go from being homeless to being a millionaire And then other people go from being a millionaire to being homeless. And the whole point is that life constantly changes, right? You have no idea what's, what's necessarily going to happen next. And like, I think that's the coolest part about the kind of lives that we've lived um, in that we've been in terrible, terrible places and, and we've been in better places. Do you get fatigued like giving the good life rap to people? Like, does that strain you at all, ever? 
Not the, not the, not talking about the good life. No, I could do that endlessly. It's more like, it's more dealing with the disappointments of like the guaranteed failures. What's it? It's it not even just temporary. The speed bump, so to speak, like whatever. Two questions. Which I had a decade of. You Wait, know? Two questions, though. I think mm-hmm. before you said, I think you had the phrase spiritual bragging. Did you say spiritual bragging before, or did I just hear you say that? You might have reiterated, like, it, something like that. Like, is that a thing? Like, I think that's a funny idea. Like, people who brag about their spirituality. Yeah, I think so. And it's usually, it's usually like covert, right? Yeah. It's usually like kind of talking shit. Like, oh, I don't get into all that drama. Like I'm so far above that. Or, you know, it's got like that kind of connotation where it's like, you're just like a little better and rising above it a little bit. Right. Cause I'm too spiritual to deal with that. Yeah. I'm right. you know, like, I, it's, I'm, it's way beneath my, my level of spirituality. Um, but, uh, and that can be a hindrance to somebody. And when you talk about, though, when you talk about dealing with, with people, is it the disappointment, like, when they don't get it? Or were you talking about the disappointment on your road when you couldn't get it? I'm talking more about, like, trying to help people all the time and that it's just not always going to work out. And it's arguably rarely going to work out, like, that specific time you're trying to help. And so that gets... And it all, I mean, so like, I, I think the most frustrating thing is when you can so clearly see a gigantic speed bump coming up for someone or a jackpot or a pothole or whatever, you see it coming. It's like the most obvious thing ever to you. And this person is like looking you dead in the eyes and like, that is not a problem and I am fine. And you're like, dude, this is not fine. I still then, do stuff like that though. You know, dude, I, so do I. You know, like I, I, I like make something like, some ridiculous problem out of something that shouldn't be a problem. And I should just be able to find gratitude in it, you know? And, and I, and, and, but then you remind yourself, that's the work to remind yourself. When I, when I was in treatment, every time I was in treatment, they gave you the rap that like one out of 10 people was going to make it right. Wasn't that the mm-hmm. rap, the treatment kind of statistic that you get. Yeah. Um, and now yeah. you, you work with the, everybody comes out of treatment and goes into your house. And are those statistics correct? Well, they might be correct. They might be correct per attempt. So if you think about it, I mean, how many sober houses and treatment centers and detox that I go into, I probably, my, my, my on base percentage is actually probably less than one out of 10, but ultimately, at least for now, I seem to have grabbed like some kind of stability. So it's so tough when you, when like, when we were in treatment and you see the same person in there eight times, like all they need to do is get it once, but they kind of, you could argue that that's one out of nine, you know? So the numbers are so impossible to figure out because there's also self-reporting for addicts and alcoholics is impossible. I remember shooting up and answering surveys, like I'm doing great, sober 90 (laughs) days. Yeah. And I'm like on the phone getting high, you know? Yeah, Totally. So, like, how do you get those numbers is really tough. I know it's hard, and it and it does seem to be rare per attempt. What is there? Is there like a statistical thing that you're dealing with with your with your what's your house called? No, you don't want to say it. I mean, I don't know. 
Nah, we're in, we're in the Berkshires. People know who I am. If they really want to, I don't want to feel like I'm shilling anything. No, um, no, not to shill, but like, what what are the statistics? Like, how, how do you keep track of people? Is it obvious when someone is not going to get it? I want to say it's like you can tell that someone's likely not to get it. I would never say someone's not going to get it. Um, but you can tell when it's likely that someone's not going to. And, Which, and vice versa. Like, but, but it's, it's so annoying because somebody who looks like they have their shit together might just fuck up at any moment because that's the deal. I think your percentages increase as your time increases for, for not fucking up. Totally. Absolutely. I, I mean, um, I, I stayed in a house in Florida. It was like the biggest shitbag house in the history of uh, sober livings. And um, like I wound up finding weed and, uh, and, 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 and like bringing girls into the house and smoking pot in the house and whatever. And, uh, and I left a, a bud sitting on my, you know, nightstand or something. And my mm-hmm. poor roommate, who is this very sweet kid who I just didn't think would care if I smoked pot, uh, found the bud and he was so upset at me. And then he, like the, the owner of the house was nowhere near the house ever. And he tracked down the owner to tell him that I had done this and they kicked me out for a night, you know? Um, and then I came back and I just told everyone I wouldn't smoke pot and I did anyway. And, um, and that was it. And like, no, there was no accountability in our house and like, who knows what happened to anybody there? And we didn't have to do anything like how, how fucking suspect is the industry in general? Well, I mean, it's like so many industries and they're like, it varies so widely and there's like such a wide variation of regulation. Also, like some are required by the department of health to do certain things. Others aren't even regulated by the state at all. Um, so it's like, you can almost break it up into a thousand different industries. So like there's like extended care that are attached to different treatment centers that are, uh, that are totally regulated by like the board of health and they have like all kinds of stuff coming in. And then there's other people that are fly by night it's like some dude, but like I started, just bought a house and then rented some rooms out. And like, I think both can exist. And it's probably a good thing that both do exist. Um, the hope just is that people are like vetting it to some degree. Um, and it is so hard to like, it's even hard to figure out like what is success. Like, so I came from a school where it was like pretty hardcore abstinence. And I, for me, for me, that's like a hundred percent, no debate, hundred percent abstinence. Um, no kratom, like, no kava tea. No kratom. I haven't come against kava tea. I used to, when I lived in Colorado, we'd soak kava in uh, grain alcohol. So it has like a, a weird correlation to that for me. I haven't. I have a weird. I have a weird question. Okay, when I was mm-hmm. when I was in Florida, there were like kava bars, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and we would go to the kava bar from the sober living and act like we were like partying or something. And, and the kava never did anything. How come there aren't like kratom bars? They, Cause that shit fucks everybody up. Why aren't there places to go like a, a kratom house, like a, like a organized kratom using place where people can profit off of it? I don't know. It's probably a, it's like, I mean, like a legal trap house kind of. Yeah, like a, <laughs> exactly. A yeah. Like a legal shooting gallery? I don't know, dude. No, but not a, I I mean, mean, nobody's shooting Kratom, right? Are they? No, no, they're not. But, like, but it, I mean, I, I'm, from what I've seen, I've, weird, I've seen more of that in the last couple of years than I had previously, like, forever. 
Um, and it fucked people up. It certainly like, especially like recovered in recovering, uh, opiate addicts. Um, tell me what happens. Tell, community- tell, tell the doping. Cause I never did Kratom. I don't know anything about it except for that. It fucks up opiate addicts. And I would love to hear, did you ever do it? No, I never did it. I never even came. I, although I just got back from the Pacific Northwest. I was like driving around Oregon and Washington and there was like residences that had these huge billboards out in front that said like, buy Kratom here. And it was like, so I, it would seem huge out there. Um, what it, it seems to be like, not a benign opiate, but not heroin or like, not like Oxycontin, but like enough to be able to catch a habit and enough to be able to like get fucked up on and be terrified of withdrawals and like have a kick, but usually doesn't come out. You have to like send the the thing out to, uh, to a lab to, to like, to fail a drug test. Um, so I assume it's like people trying to fly under the radar, but still have like a little bit of opiates. Right. Um, it seems like it's terrible news. I, I think it's like you can get it in head shops and masks. I'm not even sure though. Dude, in my but. town, in my town, they sell it at the gas station. That some dude just opened up a shop next to the the preschool, and um, you know, my wife is like, I think I want to try kratom, and I don't even know what to say. Like, how many did have you have you stumbled upon residents trying to to get away with kratom? Like, are you you yeah. can't you do? So how do you deal with it? I mean, dude, it's got to be detox. Like, the, like you literally kick off kratom. Do not kick kratom to me. Doesn't seem like a recreational drug, right? I mean, it's not like it's you. It's fucking opiates, man. Like you're getting you're getting an opiate buzz. See what they it's what I like, what they've told me is that a certain amount of it, or a certain like that, there's red and green kratom, and that a certain mm-hmm. amount of it gets you an opiate high, and the other one gets you a kind of speedy high. That's what I've heard. Dude, I mean, maybe that, that's, uh, I mean, I'm certainly not like super well versed in this, but like, what's the point? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? It's to get away. It's to get away with it. It's to get, it's to, it's to do the least you can do without, you know, and it's so funny because every Kratom story I've ever heard on Dopey resulted in somebody going into withdrawal and needing to get heroin again. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, every time. Yeah. Every time, man. Dude, I had, I knew this kid who was on Kratom. And, uh, and then like it got found out he was on Kratom and then that Kratom got taken away. So of course he shifted to, um, opiates, like pretty much OD'd and they found out because a bear got into their trash and like spilled that all over the street and there were like needles in empty bundle bags. So the bear, like the the bear, like narked them out kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, the kid to this day talks about how the bear saved his life. But uh That's awesome. But the point is, dude, Kratom is like super serious. I don't even know what what the equivalent of Kratom would be to like some metaphor to another drug. But it's like if you're doing Kratom, you're just like you're on the path. There's no I don't think there's any fooling yourself. Maybe someone's got some like Kratom maintenance thing going on right now. They're like, I don't wanna if it's better than something else that was happening, like I don't wanna step on those toes, but but it seems like it's pretty much trouble. See, I would imagine in Great Barrington, which Chris always called the source, which is a recovery town, um, like that there are like like pockets of kratom maintenance, and there's probably pockets of of marijuana maintenance, and there's probably pockets of relapse. But that's not your, 
you know, your crew obviously is the opposite, but are you privy to that kind of stuff? Because any recovery town has to always, always, also always be a relapse town at the same time. It has to be, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're a small recovery town, by the way. This is like a town of like 10,000 people and but in like nine weed shops, by the way, because we're like right in the corner next to Connecticut and New York. So like there seems to be enough business that there's just like an endless amount of weed shops popping up, which is a whole nother thing where like I know a lot of people who have kind of lulled themselves into thinking that's not a big deal with double digit number sobriety. Like, dude, my back hurts. I'd rather do this and take perks or like whatever narrative kind of gets them in the door. Yeah. Um, that's becoming more and more, and it will continue to be more and more of a thing. I don't even necessarily have a judgment on that. I just haven't seen it work very well for people around me. Yeah. Um, I, the more people I talk to, everybody with, with some time is like, maybe I should eat some mushrooms and have a spiritual experience. Maybe I should, maybe I should go get ayahuasca. Maybe I should uh, microdose LSD. Like I'm hearing more and more people with time um, deciding that that's the plan. You know what I mean? And like, (laughs) I mean, just like kind of what you said, I, I don't, you know, that's their business. You know, I, I don't trust myself for it. I don't have anything to say about it except that it's like, it's, it's not my thing. And I don't think that I, I don't think I would survive it. You know, I think I would, you know, if I took mushrooms, I would really want to smoke pot and if I smoked pot, I would probably never stop smoking pot. And if I never stopped smoking pot, I would probably start taking pills. And if I started taking pills, you know, the way it goes. Um, when when someone so do you have no you have you have no you have no draw towards like a spiritual experience via hallucinogen. Uh, I wouldn't say no draw. Like I wouldn't say no draw. I would. I yeah. I, yeah. I would say like it's in the distance. You know what I mean? Like also like. I'm neurotic, Dylan. Like, it, 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 it's like it would be a lot of work. Like the psychedelic experience, the, the the spiritual experience through psychedelics for me was always a lot of work, and I always dulled my senses with as much weed as I could smoke during it. Like I never yeah. just just did hallucinogens. I I like I think I like the fantasy of having a spiritual awakening via hallucinogens more than I would ever be like I should drink some mushroom tea. Right. You know, I mean, like you're, yeah. you're, you're from the Tim Walsh outdoor, outdoor adventure school though. So it might be, is it different? Like he was like Mr. Shaman spiritual awakening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I love Tim yeah. and I don't say that judgmentally. Like, what about you? Do you have a draw to the, you know, eating some hallucinogens? I absolutely do. So what are you going to do? What's the plan? So, I mean, my, my first, well, I started getting that early. I always looked at like, the 11 step and like holotropic breathing as my escape from this earth. I was like, okay, there is a way in the steps to like disassociate from the world in my body. Um, what's wait, hold fell, up, hold up, hold up. What's holotropic breathing. Oh, dude, I'm basically hyperventilating. Someone is going to be able to, that's, that's like the incorrect definition. It's like but the Kundalini like shit, things. right? It's like that. Yeah, okay. All that. Okay. Everything. That whole world of like, of breath work which is amazing by the way. And like, and can be really important and helpful in so many ways. Um, but I saw the world of like prayer meditation and like spiritual literature and, and retreats and like meditation and all that stuff. I saw that as like my ticket off this plane of suffering. And when that, when that didn't quite lead to as much like 
when it wasn't as much about um, rocketing out of this dimension as I hoped it was, I started to, I've always had kind of like this little lingering, like, yeah, but what about like a Peruvian shaman or like right. mescaline in the desert right. or like whatever. And, and so at first I was like, I'll, I'll make that consideration to 10 years. And then I came to 10 years and then I've now punted that to 20 years. So right. I think I've been honest with myself enough. Like I'll make that decision in 20 years. Like if I get there and it feels appropriate, maybe I'll consider it. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't want to let it be a shortcut either. Cause I think like, if I'm having that much of a trouble, that much trouble kind of like deepening my spiritual practice, I should probably be more consistent with prayer and meditation before I risk putting like a mind control, mind altering substance back in my body. I should probably like actually try some holistic shit first. Yeah. I mean, the, that, the, that feels appropriate. the Chris thing, the Chrisism about it was he, he, he loved obviously, uh, hallucinogens and psychedelics as much as anybody. And, uh, but he would he would call it spiritual pornography. That was the great the great criticism. Um, and so, like, I want you to break this down though, because I think it's very interesting and very important. When when you say, "I would like," you know, like I'm interested in a psychedelic experience, and I don't fault you for that. Like, I, my own interest is is like it's. I think it's 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 demurred if that's the word. It's halted because of my family and my kids and my job and and just. I can't, I don't do anything because I don't want to risk the life that I've earned, basically. Um, mm-hmm. However, you know, you still don't have kids. You set up the 10-year marker, right? 10 years, mm-hmm. and maybe I'll do it. So what happened when you hit it? Like, were you like, were you like Xing? You obviously weren't Xing days on the calendar, and you're like, finally, I can microdose ayahuasca with a shaman or whatever. <laughs> like, so wh- how, just walk me through when you got there that you decided to punt it. I think I, I think I had a deal with myself that I was going to be like honest about whether or not I'd actually hit a wall. I feel like that type of like, by the way, I love spiritual pornography. That's fucking perfect. Um, but could I really be honest with myself that I've played out every other avenue of self-discovery and like really trying to figure out what makes me tick? It's like, no, dude, I wasn't doing nearly enough to be, to consider myself like someone who had just like tried everything and I just couldn't get past this thing. Like, no, my life was incredible. I was also not like super religious about my meditation practice. My prayer life was like, okay, I'd gone in a couple retreats. It's like, I wasn't digging that hard. And if I'm willing to go like take this shortcut, it just didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel like, it felt like there was still a part of me that wanted to get high. And so I'd want to be clear that it wasn't me wanting to get high. Right. And I can't guarantee that. I mean, my psychedelic experiences were way more about me getting high, you know, and having visuals or having, you know, like, that feeling that is way past a spiritual experience. You know what I mean? It's a psychedelic experience. It is, uh, it's a transformative psychedelic experience involving you're getting high. There's no way you're not getting high in those <laughs> moments. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. it's now I, I had a question that I skipped and I want to ask you how, how many sober livings did you live at, um, before you opened one? I think only three. Did you fuck it up at any of them? 
Like, what was the worst thing you ever did living in a sober living? Oh, man. I would usually, I'm, I'm more of like a, <laughs> I'll try to go undercover and get high for like a couple days, but I'm more of a takeoff guy. I just like, you leave. Ghost out of there. Yeah. That's why I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to necessarily get one over on people for a while. And when I use, I don't want to have to be like half-ass using. So I think it's like, I think I, I only made it like one week actually using in this place in Boston. And it was like trying to figure out how to get around like piss tests and curfews and like not look high, not smell drunk. Like all that stuff was just like too much. I would much rather, and it was in the spring. So I'd much rather just like live outside than, than deal with that and save the money. Right, 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 right. Like, it's, it's, yeah. And then the, yeah. What's the worst thing you ever saw someone try to get away with in your spot? Oh, dude, great question. Kratom's a good one. Like, a, like to be on, <laughs> to be on a Kratom maintenance plan is, uh, is pretty egregious if you really think about it. Cause you look fucked up on Kratom too. It's like people that are, it's not like you're just normal with a low buzz. Like people look pretty fucked up when they're on Kratom. Um, are they like making the Kratom smoothies and all that? Um, I don't remember that. Yeah. It was like some kind of like, it, it almost looks like a, uh, like a gym supplement kind of thing. It looks like a green vibrance, like powder thing. So I think you just like throw in a shaker and drink it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's every story I hear involves some sort of smoothie. Um, another question I had, um, when I did, you know, when I did the, uh, the fifth step with my sponsee and then I was like, you know, thinking about this episode and I was thinking about, Chris and getting you on. And I realized that you did Chris's fourth step with him, his fifth step with him. Yeah. Do you remember it? Oh man. I haven't even tried to remember that in a long time. Is it, is it, it's like Dylan, how painful is it for me to probe you about Chris? And, and, and you just need to know that I do it because I know how much he loved you. I know how much you loved him. And I really know how much the audience loved him. You know, it's, it's like bananas. You know what I mean? So when I ask you, I obviously don't want you to divulge anything, but anything you can remember, I think they would get a kick out of. And I know I would. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, man. I'm like, cause I remember where we did it at this house I was renting up here. And by the way, I don't take any, like, I understand where you're coming from. And it's actually super cathartic for me to talk about him too. It's like a really big part of the grieving process. I think it's just like talking about the person that you lost. Um, so I find it actually helpful. Um, dude, I don't, I remember at that point, I think I'd known Chris pretty well. So there was like not a ton of surprises. I think it was just like overwhelming and kind of hilarious at the same time to like, see it all just like packaged in one, in one afternoon, just like the whole debaucherous storyline. Yeah. Uh, his I don't think yeah. I, I remember his he he always needed he wouldn't have a sponsor who didn't shoot dope and coke and drink. That was that was his criteria for sponsorship. Yeah. So when he met you, he was like, <laughs> finally, he's like, I can finally talk to somebody, you know? 
uh, which is yeah. great. I, I mean, I felt like a similar way when I met him, too. It was like, oh, my God, this is like cut off the same cloth here with this kid. It was just like he was actually like arguably more dramatic or just like, I don't know. There was something about him that was just like his his story was just so insane. It's like he went further in both directions of like crazier, posher rehabs with like way more treatment <laughs> and jail time, but also like more trailer parks and like do the pictures of him when he's like at his bottom were just insane. The funniest thing about Chris with the pictures of him as, as at his bottom is that he kept them. <laughs> you know what I mean? No matter yeah. what happened, he was going to be able to take out his phone and show you him at his worst in any moment. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have any pictures of myself when I was high. And when we started making dopey, he was like, Dave, I need you to get me pictures. Cause I'm going to post them on Instagram. And I was like, I don't really have any. And he just starts busting out his bleeding shots and his mug shot shots and all that stuff. Um, oh man. Yeah. There's something about that. It's like, that actually ties into the fifth step too. Cause I remember it was, sometimes you take a fifth step and it's like this really heavy thing. And it's like this bearing of the soul. And Chris wore his like lowest moments on his sleeve and almost like, like loved them. He, they were like his collectibles. Like this time in the trailer park when I was like, you know, like I think there's a dopey episode about it. Something with meth and being up all night with that dude. Like that was like one of his favorite, like sports cards almost. He had all these things like Iolina Lodge and like just all this shit that he just loved. And it was like his little, his, his like collection of his favorite things was wow. like his most debaucherous moments. Right. Well, that's why dopey worked. You know what I mean? It, because it was, yeah. it was this, it was, I think we were both like that. And it worked because he loved those stories so much. And it was crazy that like we created a venue that he could do that in, you know what I mean? It was like the most perfect thing for him really, which is nice. It totally was. And there's, there's something, I don't know, man, I'm sure there's a therapist that might disagree with me, but there's something almost kind of healthy about that too. And that was, I think maybe helpful for other people where it was like, these things are unacceptable. Like it wasn't cool and like he almost died and then ultimately did from this shit. But at the same time, it was like not necessarily anything to be ashamed of. It was like this really that I don't think a lot of people can walk that line. Like I don't have many pictures from my using days either. Cause I would like erase that shit or throw it away. I was trying to appear as like a normal person. And I was like embarrassed when I, all the shit I did, you know, and Chris didn't seem to have that for better and for worse. It was like, yeah, this is who I am. This is my history. And like when he was years sober, he like really used that to help people. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and it, it's it's like it totally was the whole point of Dopey, like like to tell the most ridiculous stories from a place of safety. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that was the point. And, um, you know, it's 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 so it's hard, you know, and I can I can easily just get into the work of making the show and the enjoyment of making the show. Um, but sometimes making the show sucks and it was always great with him, you know, yeah. and it was always easy with him. Um, and, uh, and it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to, uh, hard to live with loss. Like I'm sure a lot of people in your, in your line of work die and you have to deal with it all the time. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, and it's not just our line of work. It's like anybody, dude, anybody who's been 
like in and out of treatment and just like friends with addicts and alcoholics over the last like number of years. Like we've all lost so many people now. It's like impossible to like, no one's even talking about it anymore. Maybe COVID's just like hiding it, but like overdoses are up another 10% or 15% this year. Yeah. There was a story it's last like, week that it was like a 40% increase or something I, I saw, you know? So yeah. like what, and, and it was 40, I think it was a 40% increase in deaths was that was the statistic. Yeah. Um, and I think it's cause of fentanyl. What do you think? Yeah. It seems that way. Yeah. I don't even think there's like heroin. There's like so much less heroin out there. When and pe- now with the prevalency of benzos too, I feel like benzos being everywhere, which wasn't as true when I was using. See, it was so, so like- it was, it, for some reason I always had benzos. Like it just was always there in LA, like where you bought heroin, they sold benzos for a dollar. You know what I mean? Like, it was like it would be it would be impossible <laughs> to not walk Dude, off the street. Economic. You know, I, I yeah, I, I couldn't walk off that street without like whatever money I had left over. I'd be like, well, I might as well buy some clonopins or some Xanax or whatever. Um, do people come in and they say their drug of choice is fentanyl, or do they always say heroin? But I bet it's fentanyl. You know what's weird? I don't know if it's just like where we get clients from, but we haven't actually had a lot of. We've had like a string of alcoholics nice. like the cocaine alcoholic nice yeah it's a lot less scary to be honest like there's nothing scarier than someone hooked on fentanyl right now um you want to hear something now. do you want to hear something weird and funny and kind of yeah. sad um i have this vision like we're, we're doing this thing that's coming up uh in on chris's birthday called dopey day which is August 16th, where everybody in the, in the dopey world or the dopaverse or the dopey universe or the doposphere or whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. will take a dopey logo and put it over their eyes on uh, social media co- to show solidarity and to, you know, support Chris's legacy and to support the show and to, you know, to end the stigma, as, we, as the, the real big shots like to say. <laughs> um, but so I wanted to, like, get murals up right around like I wanted to get public art up. And that's the other thing is I want everyone in the dopey nation who can do any public art to do some public dopey art, whether it's Chris or dopey or toodles or whatever you want to do, do it. Mm. But so I started with this dude. Um, there's a dude like a graffiti artist in Manhattan who does these murals with all these hearts, right? That's his signature is hearts. And he calls himself Hectad, and he's like very prolific. Like his shit is everywhere. And I just figured he would do this killer piece for us. And, uh, and I wanted it to say spread in love the dopey way with a, with a kind of graffiti dopey uh, with hearts all over it. Right. And it'd say toodles for Chris at the bottom. Okay. And he mm-hmm. was like, he was like, cool, whatever, whatever. And, and like, I, I think I chased him for like a year and I was like, dude, I want to pay you to do this. And he like ignored me, ignored me, ignored me. And then all of a sudden, one day he texts me, I did it. <laughs> yeah. And he hadn't sent me a design and he hadn't like gone over it with me again. And, and what he did was he, he, he took a dopey logo and he put it on a garage door on the lower East side. Um, and it's big and it's super scrubby Dylan. It's super scrubby. And it turns out that it's right next to the soup kitchen there. So, all it is is fucking people who look fucking high as shit standing in front of the dopey logo. I'm going to send you a picture of it right now just so you can get, yeah. get, get it, get the gist. 
and yeah. the street is just full of drug addicts, you know, milling about outside of the dopey logo, which is just like the funniest thing in the world. It's crazy. I should just hang out there and take pictures of the junkies in front of the dopey logo. Chris would have lived <laughs> for this fucking thing. And then some like some other dude like like defamed it and like wrote on it and then he did it again. But these it's just junkies hanging out in front of the dopey logo. It's like I might be more proud of this than anything I've ever done. I don't know why. Oh, there we go. One went through. I'm sending you two. That dude is yeah. just fucking high as shit. Yeah. You see that guy in that picture? Dude, it's downloading. I'm in like 2009 right now somehow. Well, I, you'll take my word for it. But I'm very, very, yeah. I, I should have sent you, I should have sent you the picture before we started. Um, do people ever mention uh, Chris or anything when they come through? Does that ever come up? Yeah, it comes, it's been, certainly, obviously, you know, like, me and Colin and Ted and Ryan and, like, and Dan, all of us, like, talk about him constantly. And we're just, like, pummeling clients with stories about Chris. Right. Um, but there's, like, we have, like, a ton of pictures from just, like, stuff we've done over the last seven, eight years. And, uh, and he's in a bunch of them, so we'll definitely, like, it comes up a fair amount. No, I meant, did, do clients ever come and know that he was there? Oh, we've had actually, we have one right now that was in the IOP in Boston that he was a, that Chris was a clinician at. Nice. That's crazy. Remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that you said that kind of made me sad was the story of you doing gardening and him kind of showing up and being like, is the real work over? You know what I mean? And uh, what it reminds me of is like how young he was, you know, and, and, and just how, and I don't want to say immature, but the world hadn't shackled him up yet. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have responsibilities like you have, or I have. And uh, it's just sad. You know, he was so sweet, you know? It's so true. What's interesting. I mean, his last year or so, I mean, there, he was pretty damn busy between, like, work and school. But I know what you're saying. And it's, like, the, it's almost like the responsibility he had, like, wasn't necessarily the responsibility he wanted, maybe. Like, I still think he was in some ways, like, checking some boxes that he thought might get him to a place. But I think he was, like, I always go back to that quote he had of, like, when he's talking to his eighth-grade guidance counselor or like sophomore year or whatever. And the guy's like, what do you want, Chris? And Chris's response was, I just want to get lost in the shuffle. Really? I, I, never, part- I never heard yeah. that. Yeah. And there was a part of Chris that was like, he was so talented and bright, but I think there was a part of him that was like, that was scared to be too successful because that would mean like a lot of pressure and responsibility. Yeah. And so he was so, I mean, he would like joke about, not that he didn't take school seriously, but it was so easy for him. I mean, and he was getting his, as you know, he was getting like his PhD and he was still just like, watch this. I'm not even going to like do it exactly what the professor asked. And he's going to write me back and say, that wasn't it, but you get a hundred because it's so good. And then like a week later, he'd show me and be like, told you like he was yeah. so good at the game, but he was, it was more about the game almost than it was about the thing. No, I know. I mean, like, uh, 
That's so annoying, right? What an it's, yeah. it's so fucking annoying. I I love getting annoyed at Chris now though, still because it, it, it's like it, it's an it's an emotion I can deal with with him. He was so annoying <laughs> with shit like that. He was so annoying with Dopey though too that like he wanted. I mean, I know that he he wouldn't have written all those those articles and he wouldn't have have, have made such an attempt at writing if he didn't want more. You know what I mean? Like he wanted acknowledgement. He, we wouldn't have done Dopey if he didn't want acknowledgement. It all started because I had gotten acknowledgement for my web series, and he was like, I want acknowledgement too. That's how we started it. Man, well, maybe, I don't know. Is this, and this is, like, so speculative, dude. Is like, I feel like whenever I'm thinking about, like, what happened or what was actually going on with him, it's like, who the fuck knows? Um, but there is, like, I, it's like that's where he was most comfortable. He was most comfortable, like either being debaucherous or pulling one over on people or just like fucking around with people that he could totally relate to. Right. Right. And it's like, and even go back and read his writings. Like they're all about him just being a fucking complete idiot. Right. Cause it's so funny. All of it. And, but also really insightful. So it's like, he had this beautiful way of, of like this alchemy of the dumbest shit imaginable but presenting it in a way that was like really enlightening and actually gives like a lot of insight into how I think a lot of people feel in active addiction. Always. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. He, because he knew better, he could tell the story in, in, in the way that would, that would tick off the the thing inside of you that would react to it. You know what I mean? Because he knew, I think it was because he knew how his parents would react. I think that was so burned into him that like if he had a fucked up story, he knew how straight world would react to it. And that's how he knew it was even funnier. Like he yes. just like that was his whole fucking wheelhouse. Now I I'm gonna try something I've never tried before, okay? We're gonna okay. try to call a member of the Dopey Nation while we're recording the show on a three-way call, and she's gonna give her experience of what happened when Chris died for her. What do you think? You wanna try it? I love it. Yeah. Her name okay. is Misty, and she makes a ton of uh, bootleg, crazy, dopey art. She is a, a backbone of the Dopey Nation Facebook group. Hold on. Her name is Misty? Misty, yes. Okay. She calls herself the Dopey Fairy because she sends out bootleg dopey stickers to people all over the world. Wow, all right. Yeah, she's serious. Hold on. Here we go. Let's call her. Hello. Hi. Hi. Let me see if I can get this to work. No, it's impossible. Ah, hello, hello. Are you both there? Yo. I'm here. Hi. Hey, Missy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. So this is dopey history in the making. We're reflecting on, you know, the usual kind of stuff, and we're talking about Chris. And uh, I know Dylan is not the biggest dopey listener in the world, and I know he knows the impact that Dopey had on some people. And I, I just wanted you to share the impact of Chris's death on you with Dylan and the Dopey Nation, Misty. And I told Dylan, you're the, the big time Dopey fairy. Tell Dylan what, what the Dopey Nation has meant to you. And I'll be quiet now. <laughs> um, well, you know, when Chris... When Chris passed away and Dave came on and announced it, we um, started the Dopey Nation group. And 
I may have been listening along, you know, and laughing and enjoying my belly laughs um, throughout the time of the Dopey podcast, you know, before he passed away. But um, after that is when I really began to learn what connection means for people and what uh, being there for people and people being there for you really means. Um, I spent a lot of my time before that either white knuckling it or in active chaotic use. And um, after that, you know, like people cared about me and I cared about people. And I think that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, when you have somebody that can, uh, that wants to check up on you and that you want to check up on. And um, I've developed friendships all over the world because of the Dopey Nation. Um, and they're not just like relation, they're not internet relationships. They are actual friendships that I've just never had before this. Dylan, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's incredible. And on some level, I'm not surprised. In another sense, I'm like, it's fucking beautiful that that came from that. So it's like this terrible thing happened. And then that brought a bunch of people together in Misty. You were like in that place at that time. And you got like sucked up into that fellowship kind of thing. I sure did. Um, I was not a meetings person before this. Um, in fact, I wasn't a people person by all means. And um, part of the thing that I really liked about it was, you know, the dopey nation meets you where you are. Um, they're not judgment, you know, there's not a lot of judgment going on. It's, it's just love. And, um, it's definitely what kept me responding. And then when I would see like, Oh, somebody going to rehab or whatever, I'd send them some bootleg dopey stickers, you know? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dude, um, Dylan, Dylan, and, they do they do fucking twenty four dopey Zoom meetings a week around the world. Really? Yes. They, you know, Colin, Colin went and spoke at one. Wow. You should speak at one, Misty. You should set up a Dylan uh, dopey Zoom dealy. Done, <laughs> done, Dylan. I'll get a hold of you. Um, the other, um, the, the, the crazy thing, like the 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 kind of morbid metaphor that I used for this was always like the way if you put a body into the ground that the ground becomes fertilized with the body. And, and I feel like that's what happened here. You know, it's like one of the few positives to take away from something like this is that these people got together only because he died. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, and that was exactly it. Um, I believe Andrew had, had made a post on the dopey podcast Facebook page and said, Oh, we should start, you know, like a, a fan or a fan club group or whatever, so that we can all be with each other. Because when Chris passed away, it was such an odd thing for me. I did not know him, had never spoken to him, but Dave and Chris were the people that were keeping me alive and not from not going back out again. Um, they're the ones that taught me what a belly laugh is again after 20 years of active addiction, you know? So then when we joined the Facebook group and then, well, of course it's just beautiful and it's just growing and it's wonderful. It's, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Honestly. You hear her Dylan? Those says the best thing that ever happened to her. It really is. 
Yeah, it's just like there's it's so weird when you lose someone that close. There's like these conflicting. Like part of me is like Chris's mine is the wrong word, but like it was so personal, and I'm also so proud. I'm like, you guys don't even know exactly how amazing he was, like, which is such bullshit. You do. But at the same to know that, like, that this major tragedy has affected so many people in a positive way is, like, it doesn't necessarily take away from, like, how much I miss him at all. If anything, it makes me realize, like, how impactful he was and bummed out that he's not here still. But it, it does, like, there's, like, somehow worth it is the wrong word but like there's some consolation albeit like small and indirect like there is something that's like all right man like it still lives on like his in the fact that the, the, there's digital takeaway from like how much i miss him at all if anything it makes me realize like how impactful he was and bummed out that he's not here still but it, it does like there's like somehow Worth it is the wrong word, but, like, there's some consolation, albeit, like, small and indirect. Like, there is something that's, like, all right, man, like, it still lives on. Like, his, in the fact that the, the, there's digital, these digital recordings and people are still listening to him. And I can go back and listen to him. is like, mm-hmm. so powerful. You want to hear something fucked up, Dylan? Yeah. So, like, there's this woman in the Dopey Nation named Monique, Okay. And Monique started a, a dopey Zoom meeting where they play a thought that Chris had and then they talk about it. Okay. Like that's a dopey Zoom meeting. Um, but but it's tonight. But they found out, Dylan, that I interrupted Chris so much that they can't find enough thoughts of his <laughs> because I ruined his thoughts on dopey because I couldn't shut up. And now I've ruined a piece of Chris's legacy. Isn't that terrible? You're ruining yeah. the show, Dave. Isn't that terrible? It, it was all about <laughs> the interaction, man. It wasn't about either one of you. It was about your your relationship. Right. It was. It was supposed. You know, right. The Misty, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I can I just add one more thing? I would like to say that um, Chris passing away also gave um, the harm reduction aspect such a big boost in the Dopey Nation. Um, you know, knowing that that. Unfortunately, people do relapse, and if it's the case, let's talk about harm reduction. Um, we also have a harm reduction meeting through the Dopey Zoom that we do, and um, honestly, like I saw it open up a lot of people's minds. Right? Like, if if this could happen to Chris, it could happen to us. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so um, we've really seen a big boost in harm reduction and attitudes changing towards abstinence only and, you know, things like that. So that's amazing also. It certainly is. Wow. So the other thing, the other thing, Dylan, did I ever tell you about the whole alt recovery movement thing? No. Do you want to hear about the alt recovery movement? Sure. Yeah. There's a lady in New Hampshire who wrote, wrote us an email like she was a heroin addict who was smoking weed and was taking Suboxone and could not relate to meetings kind of the way Misty's talking about. And, uh, and she like wrote me this email saying that dopey was at the vanguard of the alt recovery movement, Dylan, the vanguard of the alt recovery movement. Yeah, dude. So like I decided we should start the alt recovery movement and the alt recovery movement says that there are, uh, 
infinite number of ways into addiction and infinite number of ways out of addiction. You know, one being 12 step, which got me out of it, but like 12 step doesn't, you know, I always say to people that 12 step only doesn't work for people who don't really try it. Um, but people are, are, are resistant to trying it. Like you can't possibly, let me ask you like at your house, people who are resistant to 12 step, like they have to do other shit, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, have to is a weird thing. I'm like really big on kind of the motivational interviewing style of getting people to figure out what's going to work for them. And of course it's better if people are willing to try some stuff, I think. But at the same time, I only have my own experience and I take right from the 12 steps to like this thing's about attraction, not promotion. So I've never been about like mandating a certain amount of number of meetings per week or even that you go at all. But if you do say you're going to go, I'll hold you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. No, but, I, like, I love that. Um, I also don't want to fill the rooms up with a bunch of people that don't want to be there. That's not helpful to anybody. That's the worst, so, the worst thing of all. Misty, what are you trying to say? I'm sorry. I'm going to be quiet. Well, you know, when um, I had gotten arrested for possession of methamphetamines, I was required to go to meetings um, through the state that I live in. And, um, I, I could have scored at those meetings, um, because so also was everybody else required <laughs> to go to those meetings. Right. And, and I could not get anything out of them because I could not go. I could not concentrate. You know, um, I worked out a different deal with my, um, oh, what is he public defendant or whatever. Um, because that was so triggering for me, you know, is to have everybody else in there. I do like, um, any kind of a meeting that is not necessarily like, it's just where, wherever you are, you know, like, even if you're still using it, want some recovery, you should be able to get some. Right. Right. I mean, it's, 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 I'm happy that the meetings that I go to aren't like that. Like, I don't think, maybe it's cause it's early in the morning that people aren't mandated. Don't go to my meeting that they're mandated to go. Cause that must fuck up meetings. Are there a lot of mandate meetings like that uh, around, uh, around you Dylan or no? Not really. We get a couple. And to be fair, I've known plenty of people that were mandated and end up liking it and staying. So it's like, that's right too. It's like, it's the whole thing. It's like, who knows, man, I know my experience pretty well. And then like, that's about, I know some handful of other people's, but that's like, like, who knows, dude? I love the fact there are more opportunities, though. Dylan, did Misty's experience and, and uh, strength and hope uh, move you about the death of Chris and how it impacted her? Yeah, of course. I love hearing that. At the same time, I'm like, I'm somehow, like, not surprised, but I don't want to minimize it either. Oh, uh, yeah. I get you that. Know? Like, it's a huge deal. Like, that's a huge deal. Like, I, like you're, like, you're, it's somehow him living on in some way, not necessarily obviously through you. Like you're the one staying sober. You're the one making decisions every day to like make your life better and keep it better. Yeah. So how much we all influence each other just by being ourselves. And like, that's something that Chris's legacy is. So it's like unashamedly himself, you know, love it. And that was also part of the eulogy you read, you know, that, that bit he had about his legacy. Like not everybody gets to have a legacy and, uh, and not everybody certainly doesn't get to have a positive one. And, mm. and somebody who fucked up as much as him 
the fact that his legacy is still so overwhelmingly positive says the most. Yeah, I agree. Well, Misty, I, I, I appreciate you calling in and giving another opinion so that Dylan can realize there are actually people out there listening to the show. There's so many, Dylan. Please come to Adobe Zoom and um, let me get your address. I'll send you some bootleg stickers. I'd love that. I'll text it to Dave. And I, I just like to wrap that up. It's like, now you are the person spreading that. Yes. You know, now you are the, you are literally the person who's like carrying that message and, and being that person for other people. It's just fucking beautiful. Misty's uh, big time. Misty is big time. <laughs> good, positive message spreading. She's like a fucking beacon of light and hope and bootleg dopey merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> Need anything that Dave won't make? I'll make it. Yeah, she does. She cu- she cuts she cuts my profit margin down a lot, but it's it's all worth it. It's all worth it. <laughs> all right, Misty, we're gonna we're gonna get to the email and voicemail segments of the show, but this has been I think it has been a successful three way call on Dopey. Love it. So thank you. Good to meet Thanks, you, Dylan. Thanks, Dave. Nice to meet you, Dylan. You too. All right. Bye. So are you are you shocked? Are you blown away? Are you moved to pieces? Dude, I'm very moved. I mean, I'm not shocked only because like I kind of have seen this, albeit kind of from like afar. But like I've been watching what you've been doing, man. Well, you know, it, I do it. I do it because for my ego, I do it for narcissistic, self-seeking purposes. Like, what happens if you're doing something good and self-seeking simultaneously? What happens? I don't know, dude. Is it well? That's I'm, I'm curious. Are you like covering up the fact that you really do care about people by saying it's narcissistic? Are you like somehow diminishing it by saying, by always saying it's narcissistic? I don't know. <laughs> I, I get so lost in the whole process, you know, cause I really do want dopey. I want dopey to be entertaining more than anything. That's what I want. Um, yeah. but the fact that people are moved and the fact that people feel good. And the fact that it actually is helping people, you know, I still work at Katz's and so I'm not like this rich and famous podcaster. Um, but, but it's incredibly, uh, satisfying and, and it makes me feel so good to know that, uh, that this thing has done some good for somebody else, but I still get high off the narcissistic aspects as well. You know, yeah, I think it's okay to be acknowledged for doing something that helps people and that you care about and that inspires you. I think that's like that's an okay thing. Like Chris, Chris with the show. The difference between me and Chris with the show is that I would try to get like I would try to get every public venue to carry the show, and I wouldn't tell my friends that the show existed. And uh, and Chris would not reach out to public places but he would tell all of his friends to listen to the show um i don't know what it means but it's it, it was it was a chris thing now do you want to do the voicemail or do you want to do the email what do you typically do what, what do we got i don't know either way uh you want me to read see, you sent me an email right yeah read the email what the hell okay. i think i said the person's name at the beginning right yeah so but he says don't that. say his name don't say his name right doesn't it say, it'll call him Swanee, I think it said. Swan Boy. Okay. This is from Swan Boy. I've been listening for a while. I contacted you before on Instagram. I was the guy that loved the atrocious weed episode. 
I'm still working on getting caught up to the recent episodes so I can tune in weekly for more Dopey. Currently on episode 200 now for the first Christmas episode. The finally a heart-wrenching one to listen to for sure. Definitely, I bet that Spence to me. Yes. Makes me want to go back and listen to the episodes of you and Chris just to hear his voice more. Just like you said, his voice is infectious. Anyway, just wanted to say how important this podcast is to me and how you and Chris touched my life for the better. Listening to you guys makes me feel like I'm surrounded by old friends, even though we've never met. Kind of funny how that works. I've been an opiate anything I can get my hands on kind of addict since I first moved my first joint at 15. I got on heroin at 16 and got clean at 22 with the help from Suboxone. But I didn't quit smoking. Smoking that wicked hot fire or (laughs) drinking. So years down the road led right back to opiates. I'm 32 now and currently have been off hard drugs for two years. And I've been on Subutex and smoke weed since then. I'm currently down to two milligrams of Subutex a day and maybe a gram of weed. Something feels different this time. Getting clean while listening to the podcast helps me get through my day-to-day. I want this more than ever, and I can feel I can do it this time and get 100% clean and sober, no mind-altering substances. Anyway, thanks for everything you've done, Dave. You have no idea what it does for me. Stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. That's Swan Boy. Thank you, Swan Boy. I think that's an awesome, awesome email. And uh, in that episode 200, if, if you haven't listened to the episode 200, that might be, that's in my top three dopey episodes because it's got a, it's got a ton of people. I think you might be in it at some point in that episode uh, and a bunch of Chris. And I remember making that was like this cathartic thing. So um, I don't know. I think that's a, it's a nice email. What do you think? Dude, it's a great email. It's fucking, it's amazing. So like, we're hearing this over and over, man. That's like what it's sticking out to me is that people are finding community and people like, so that, that seemingly like this alt-right, this, not this alt-right, this (laughs) This alt-right recovery, all recovery, all recovery, not all right. This all recovery movement seems to have like space for people to not at all feel judged about their process, which I love. It's so important. Yeah, that's 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 the idea. That's that's what we want. Um, and like, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, like the fact that he's still smoking bud and he's still on Subutex. Like, how hard? Because you're around people getting clean all the time. How hard do you think the leap is going to be for Swanee Boy? Yeah, I think it'd be a lot harder if he didn't have like some kind of community to be tethered to. So I don't know, man. You know, like. I've seen people like do it quote unquote the right way and like really take their time from two to even one to like every other day one. And then ultimately it's like, Oh wow. I didn't take it for like two days straight. And you don't even really notice that much. Like it's totally possible. I think it's like having the team around you and feeling like both accountable, but and supported, supported by other people. Cause like the, you know, we all know like Swan Boy's going to have that thought of just like, ah, should I bump it back up to four? Should I go get high? I'm going on a trip to like wherever I can drink or like what to smoke more, like who the thoughts are going to come. And it's like, so how do you prep yourself to stay true to what your real intention is here, which is to get totally clean, which is what he wrote. Of course it's possible. thousand percent. Totally. And, and when you, and when you have, I have a question just about like, because you deal with people on, on Suboxone and, and Subutex all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, 
one thing, and I, I was on it for a little bit. I never really had a crazy Suboxone run or anything. But the thing that I don't understand, and, and it's like one of the things that I would like to see change in the world is like, why don't they have point? Oh one point oh two. Like, why are they like filing down pills and cutting up these strips, and they don't have super low doses? Like, don't you think that's a thing, or am I just crazy with that? No, it's a good. I mean, it's a good point. I don't know the science as well as I probably should, or like somebody else does. I don't know it at but all, they, but I just feel like if they had lower dosages, they could get down to point oh one, and then be like, "That's it." I mean, two's pretty low, right? Two's like pretty low, so I think. The like, the, I don't know if you heard of Sublocade, but that's like the new kind of like Vivitrol, right? The Boxone injectable thing. What um, is it? That's basically like a monthly shot that slowly doses out what is the same um, buprenorphine, the the same chemical as in Suboxone. So it's like you're just you're you're naturally titrating down throughout the month, and then you can be on like the same. Or you actually no, it's like a pretty steady dose, but you do get a little lower at the end of the month. Um, and then you can do that for however long you want. I've known people that have done that and not even really had too many withdrawals at all. So you like this then, one? I mean, yeah, if that's, if it, I, I think it's, there's going to be like less control because it is like a once a month doctor's appointment where you're getting the injection and that's it. Um, but I think there's some benefits to that too. So you don't have to like think about it every day. I used to play a lot of games in my head about like, oh, if I wait till two o'clock, then I'll get like a little bit more and I won't feel like I'll be able to sleep better later. Just like those games of when I want to like do stuff, just get tiresome. And I'm always kind of like, this is like the addict part of me kind of like loves fucking around with, with timing and amounts and stuff. Yeah. So I can see how a once a month shot could be great. Right. No, that makes sense to me. Um, do you want to hear the voicemail or do you want to drop a dopey story before it's over? Um, I want to hear, uh, I want to hear a voicemail. All right. What's up, Dave? What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Ed from Portland, Maine. Trying to hit you with a little bit of dopey here, dopey story. So here we go. The year is 2010, maybe. My life is a disaster. In and out of rehab, sober houses, detox, rinse, repeat over and over again. IV heroin addict, not a good life. So I'm, uh, I'm on my, uh, my last chance for the hundredth time. I'm living in a sober house in Massachusetts where I grew up. As far as sober houses go, it's uh, definitely on the strict side. And, uh, you know, for the first like 30 days, you're basically on probation kind of thing. You can't leave the house without being escorted by, you know, someone else that lives there to like go to the grocery store or whatever. And, you know, the rules are pretty tight. So after 30 days, you, you meet with the owner guy and he decides whether or not you're ready to kind of go out and like look for a job and get your car back and all that. So after 30 days, I finally was able to go retrieve my car. I give my car um, no intentions of using or anything like that. And then, you know, five minutes later, I'm uh, on the phone with the dope man scheduling a meetup. 
I go into Dorchester, Columbia Point projects. This is where my guy was in, in Boston. And, uh, you know, going by, I think it was a gram or whatever. And he was the best because I could call him and be like, I got 40 bucks and I would get something that was weighed out to 0.4 or I'd be like, I got 70 bucks. I get something that was weighed out to 0.7. So I loved him because, you know, mm, it was reliable and, uh, uh, the good old days. So I go and grab the stuff and as I usually did, I'm instantly heading for the nearest, uh, public restroom, the KFC on Dodd Ave or the Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. So for this place where I always went, the nearest, the nearest, the first place you could pull over and, um, get to a bathroom was the Double Tree Hotel. And, um, you know, I like this better than having to look over the, my shoulder in the car and make sure no one was watching and, you know, go in the bathroom, lock the door and spread out my stuff and enjoy my ritual. So I walk in the lobby, walk past the girl at the front desk, wave hello. And, you know, I got to wonder now, like, what she was thinking about this dude that, like, walked into the hotel every day and went into the men's room. So anyway, I load up a nice fat shot, which probably would have been the perfect amount back 30 days ago when I had a terrible habit, but was definitely probably overkill after being clean for 30 days. And next thing I know, I wake up surrounded by paramedics and I'm like, guys, what, what's going on? You know, what, where am I? What day is it? And, you know, they're like, someone just called 911 cause you were passed out on the, you know, bathroom floor, turning blue, not, not breathing with your eyes rolled back. I said, Oh yeah, I'm fine. Um, Sometimes I faint, you know, get a little lightheaded. I got diabetes, you know, whatever I said. They're like, oh, really? Well, the only thing that kept you alive was giving you three shots of Narcan. I'm like, Nar- Narcan? What, what is that? You know, I don't, I don't know what that is. Meanwhile, of course, I still got the rest of this, like, gram in my pocket. So they take me to Boston Medical Center. This is maybe the... I think I ended up overdosing five times over the years. This was the third time in that same hotel bathroom where somehow every time somebody finds me and uh, calls 911. After that time, I was um, outlawed from all Doubletree hotels nationwide. I'm in the hospital. They're trying to keep me. The Narcan's kind of like keeping me from... You know, I'm kind of like half awake, sort of in and out. I weigh, I overdid it. So I basically escaped from the hospital and that, you know, they didn't want to let me go. I get out of there. I get back to my car, get my car back. Now I'm on um, Mass Ave in Boston, which now they call Methadone Mile. You know, probably like dozing in and out kind of thing and end up rear-ending this like black woman who gets out of her car and She's like, hey, what the hell are you doing? And, uh, you know, I just kind of bumped into her, and she's like, I'm calling the police. You don't need to call the police. Your car's fine. There's no damage. Meanwhile, I've got this my stash in my pocket. And uh, 
police come. I, I had hidden the stash in the dumpster, and it turns out I had a warrant, so they bring me to jail in Roxbury for most of the day, and eventually I bail myself out. This is all while I'm living at the sober house, mind you. I get out of jail. I go back to the dumpster. I find my stash that I had hidden back there, knowing the police were responding to the accident. I go to CVS, buy, buy a bottle of Visine and some yellow food coloring and fill it with yellow colored water and put it in my pocket. Go back to the sober house. Ed, where you been all day? Everybody's worried about you. You know, you haven't answered your phone. You know, there was a curfew, probably 11 o'clock, and I made it in at like 10.59 after all this. And I, uh, I peed in a cup. Well, I didn't pee in a cup, but I passed the drug test because it wasn't my pee. It was yellow-colored water. And he's looking at me all funny. I can tell he has his doubts, but he kind of, like, lets me go, and I go to bed. I think at some point in the night, the token, the one token alcoholic old guy in the house that's not like a 20-something-year-old heroin addict finds me laying on the bathroom floor by the toilet, somehow isn't hip to what's going on, and it's like, silly Ed, you've been sleepwalking. Go back to bed. I don't know how he didn't pick up on that. Next morning, I get questioned by the sober house owner. What happened to you last night, Ed? Did you relapse? No, 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 no. And finally, I admitted it. And, you know, told him how I, um, you know, relapsed, um, overdosed in the bathroom, escaped from the hospital, got in a car accident, picked up on a warrant, went to jail, got some stuff, you know, passed the drug test, made it back in time for curfew. And next thing you know, um, here I am getting questioned and he goes, you know, that's quite a story. Uh, of course, you've got to leave immediately, but I would say you're a real drug addict and you need some serious help. Those were his parting words to me. Anyway, I got to wrap it up. Fast forward to today. I've been sober nine years. Things are, uh, life's a lot different now. I got a kid. I got a little business we run and, you know, I think back and, uh, kind of it's hard not to laugh and think that that was like a totally different person living a totally different life with all these things that have happened i'll uh i'll let you go with this toodles for chris and stay strong dopey nation bye-bye thank you swanee what I mean, that wasn't swanee that was ed sorry thank you ed dylan are you still there yeah dude what do you think it was right in your backyard right yeah, dude, I, I was in, uh, I got kicked out of a sober house on Dot Ave, which is Dorchester Ave in Boston. What a fucking day. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like a movie, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's also like par for the course. It's the weirdest thing, you know? It's like, that's why I love, like, you and Chris and, and Ed and, like, Swanee Boy. This is just like, that's my speed, man. I totally get it. And to be like... Like, how do you come back from being so depraved that you're like half dead? And the first thing you think of is to lie and give an excuse as to why you're dying on a bathroom floor. Totally. Like, how do you come back from that? You're so entrenched, probably like a 15 beats a minute heart rate. And you're just like, oh, I have asthma. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> or thinking to buy Visine. I still am like, oh my God, he's brilliant. He, he bought Visine and food coloring. Like I never would think to do anything. And what you said is you would have just been gone. You know what I mean? And he tells the tale and uh, it's just crazy. You said when I sent it to you that it kicked up some stories of your own. What, what stories did it remind you of? Dude, well, obviously it reminded me of like my own Dorchester Avenue sober house living thing, which I just, I mean, which is like a decent story. But you know what I actually was just thinking of more is, uh, is when he escaped the hospital. I have one that allies with that and a Suboxone. It's got a Suboxone twist. Hit us with Which, hit us with it. Yeah, it could be that one. So I don't know. I think in the last most of my most like debaucherous stories have to do with Florida, as do I think a lot of Americans. But uh <laughs> yes. always so I as I when I had that trucking company, which I think I've talked about on the show before, I would always like I would leave Boston with what always felt like an ample amount of drugs every time. I'd even take like a little more than I needed. And without fail. I'm like always running out by the time I cross into Florida, not even just crossing back from Florida, but like cross into Florida. Um, and so I kind of like gotten used to my fucking that up. So I started bringing subs with me. And uh, in this particular time, it's like, I think I, I like stayed in Atlanta or somewhere, somewhere outside of Atlanta heading South and crossed into Florida the next day. I had to work in like Miami or something. And I started getting sick. Like as I'm going like through Jacksonville, and I did have some subs on me. And like part of my addiction at that point was like shooting stuff. So I was like, well, I have subs. I might as well just like shoot some subs and that should like keep the sickness away and keep me fine and whatever. I'll figure it out. I'll get drunk tonight. It should be no, no big deal. Um, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever shot or taken Suboxone like before your withdrawal is fully kicked in. No, um, I never, I never shot Suboxone and, and I, I, I barely had any experience with it, but let me, hear okay. let me hear. Well, so basically I, I put myself into, I shot up whatever amount of Suboxone and I put myself into precipitated withdrawal, which means you go from like yeah. the day before, you know, like the several hours before you're going to get sick, you're not sick yet, but you're, you're terrified you're going to get sick. And like, you know, it's just like a matter of time before it happens. Totally. I was like that nebulous area. And I was like, okay, I'll just like, whatever, I'll do this thing. And that'll make me feel better. Maybe I'll get a rush out of it, whatever. But what happened is like, I ended up just putting myself directly into being super sick, like immediately, like plunger goes down and I'm just like, holy shit, I am as sick as I've ever been. And back then, the only way I knew how to deal with that feeling was to just like, just to get really drunk. And at that point I was in, like, I was on I-95 going South, I think like near Daytona beach. So I pulled into a gas station and I just walked in. I was so sick all of a sudden I couldn't even deal with like paying for the beer. I just like grabbed the 24 ounce thing out of the cooler, just walked in the bathroom, pounded it, got back in my truck and headed for a hotel, got a hotel, um, got like blackout drunk for a couple of days. And I have like vague recollections of like, being at some stupid beachside bar, like as they open at 10 AM and getting told to leave by noon and then just getting a bottle and, and like passing out and waking up again and not knowing if it's like 6 AM or 6 PM, like that kind of drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and mind you, like I had a business partner at the time who I was in touch with like five times a day. I had someone's entire household worth of furniture on my truck that I was supposed to deliver yeah. like the next and I'm blackout drunk in Daytona. 
So at some point, <clears throat> my business partner tracks down my credit card and finds out where I am. This is like after a couple of days of me missing. And uh, and so they get the, like the motel manager to to come over and like check on me. And I just like slam the door and lock it. And then I pass out, keep drinking. Next thing you know, there's cops that break down the door. And I'm like, just a me- like leaving Las Vegas style, just like bottles everywhere. I'd probably piss myself. I'm just like a total disaster. Um, and the cops are like, what's going on, dude? Like, what's, what's up? And I just remember saying <laughs> something act of like, I just want to die, which is not something you want to say to like, well, I mean, if you want to die, it's probably a good thing to say that out loud actually. But what that triggers is like, you're going to the psych ward. Right. Uh, so, so I get taken uh, via ambulance to the hospital they're like in the midst of doing an assessment on me. I'm in the padded room in a Johnny and like the psychiatrist had come in and asked me some questions and then he left. And then I'm standing there by myself. There's like a dude washing the door, some orderly or something. And I like, I started to sober up a little bit. And when I start to sober up and I'm detoxing from dope, like I, I fucking need to drink. So I will do anything to drink or get high, obviously, but getting high wasn't on the table. So I'm like, I need to drink. And I like, start talking to this orderly. I'm like, dude, you got to let me use the bathroom. I got to use the bathroom so bad. And he like unlocks the door and I go like two steps out of the thing towards the bathroom. And then I just bolt and I just like run down the hallway for the main (laughs) hospital, run out into the parking lot in my Johnny, which like, if you're in, (laughs) if you're running like full speed with a Johnny, it's impossible to keep that thing closed. So I'm just like, wait, what's a Johnny? you know like the hospital gown thing right, yeah, yeah yeah why is it called so, the johnny like, dude i don't know maybe that's like an eastern mass thing i don't know what you call it in new york what do you call it i don't know hospital. Uh, yeah hospital gown keep going so you're running out in the johnny you can't keep so it closed in the johnny and i'm feeling uh i'm feeling hopeful that i might be able to get drunk here um i can't remember exactly like somehow i make my way to a walmart and there's like, it's one of these Walmarts. It's like kind of out of the middle of town. It's got like a little bit of woods around it. And I'm kind of like standing in the woods, kind of casing the Walmart. Like I know they have booze in there. What do I, how do I get booze out of this place? So I end up just like getting enough courage to walk in barefoot, no wallet, no ID, nothing hospital gown. I walk in and there was this display, like a pyramid display of these gigantic bottles of wine. Like they're definitely bigger than a gallon. It feels like it might've been like a two gallon <laughs> Yeah, these giant fucking thing might have been a gal. I don't know. It was some what to me felt like the biggest jug of wine I've ever seen. And I ran in, grabbed the thing with two arms. Again, can't keep the hospital gown closed. So I just like run out the Walmart with my hospital gown, like flapping open like a fucking running back going up the middle. And just like I, I made it to like some random patch of woods where some homeless dudes have been hanging out. There's like an old fire and a bunch of tires to hang out on. Um, and I drank that, whatever that was over the next like several hours, passed out, woke up, realized I was like, there's no, there's no way out here. Walked back to the hospital and like voluntarily committed myself back in, <laughs> held me for like two days. I got sent back to Massachusetts, which it just keeps going. That, that like, that story winds up with me getting committed for 30 days and a bunch of other crazy shit. But that's like, what happened to the family's furniture? 
Dude, oh, my business partner had to fly down. He had to miss Thanksgiving. That's right. Oh, fuck. <laughs> he had to miss Thanksgiving. I'm th- like his family. He's got like this huge Irish Catholic family. They have these gigantic 40 person like holidays that he like cooks for and sets up at his house. He had to leave that whole thing, fly down and deal with it. And like drive the truck to Miami and unload it and then drive the truck back to Boston. Who sent back for you to get back to Massachusetts? Dude, I don't even remember how I got back. It wasn't with him. He didn't, he didn't get you back. Maybe your parents gave you airfare or something. Yeah, it was like he might have bought me a ticket back or something. Like, I don't know. Dude, that's insanity. That, I mean, like, that's the, I mean, like, that is the craziest thing. And it's like, that's exactly what you said before. The way people like us get to experience things like that. And then you get to do things like marry your best friends or save people's lives or enjoy your life, you know, most simply, you know, but you, you are like, you are out there and you're Johnny stealing a giant jug of wine in the woods. I, I don't know why I think it's funny. I still think that shit is funny because it's like, those are the places that we got to. And this is the place we are now. And I think it's relevant. I totally do too, man. Is I I don't know. I think one of the reasons I get along with you and I'm sure like I would with so many other people from Dopey Nation is like I just love living at the edges of life. Like for whatever that means. I have a question. Yeah. Cuz like and this has been like my ongoing theme which is acceptance. How do you deal with acceptance? Like how do you not like like this morning I was bored and I like I I, I wasn't thinking about using but I was trying to get someone to get on the phone with me. I was listening to the Howard Stern show, super bored. I was annoyed that I had to go to work. And I just, I so wanted to get out of my skin with something. You know what I mean? And it wasn't going to be drugs or alcohol. And it, I was trying just to get a phone call with a friend. You know what I mean? Not even like a sober phone call. Just something so that I wouldn't feel bored. Or like whatever I'm doing, I, I just tend to always want more, you know, and, and I struggle with acceptance. Yeah. And that's not even, I don't even know if that's like acceptance per se. That's like, I get it. I can totally relate. I think a lot of me saying like, I love the edges of life have something to do with me having difficulty when things are slow. Right. My therapist asked like, so what's in the middle when I'm like, ah, dude, life begins at the edges. And he's like, so what the fuck is like, what is in the middle then? And I'm like, I don't know, man, that's why I'm here. But like, but there, so anyway, there's like, I think there's a natural desire for, to like connect with people, especially I think with our history. And I think like what Missy was talking about, so much of our medicine is like talking to each other and like reminiscing or like being honest about what's going on. And then there's like, there's also a bunch of practices that can, I mean, that's when you become like a regular American too. Like regular Americans suck at like sitting there doing nothing. Right. We're on our phones or listening to something or watching something like 24 seven. So I don't know. Meditation practice is like, is there more, is it, like, it becomes a million little solutions. Like, are you missing some piece of like gratitude for your current life? Like, I don't know. Totally. No, I'm totally, I, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's in the morning. I, I I've actually developed that. I meditate every day. Like I meditate every day and, and I've like started exercising every day and I pray every day. Like, and I've been doing this for probably almost a year and it's all working. Um, but in the middle of the day, it goes away. 
You know what I mean? Or even an hour later, it goes away. And and I think you're right. I think you stop and you and you use one of these these uh, tools, you know, practices. But it's it's in those moments that I forget. And it's like exactly what you said about the edges versus the middle. Like, how do you enjoy the middle? Yeah, man. And some of it's acceptance. And sometimes you're going to feel bored. And like, that's not the end of the world. But isn't that, I mean, I've, I've equated that with accepting that being bored is okay. Like, that's the way I've, that's what my sponsor says. He's like, this is all acceptance. He's like, every problem you have is that you don't accept what you have in that moment as okay, as enough. Fair enough. I can get behind that. All right. Well, this has been very enlightening for me. I think Chris would have loved it. I loved your story. Uh, Did you have fun? Was it at all enlightening for you? Was it a good thing for you, Dylan? It's a great thing, man. I always love catching up. Yes, sir. Um, Fucking hell. Do you want you want to take us out? You you want to add anything else before you go? Will you check out? Will you will you take Misty up on maybe speaking at a dopey Zoom meeting? Of course, man. I can't say no to that. All right. For sure. You want to take us out of this thing? I do. Do I do I have anything? I don't know, man. I I love saying it to a bunch of people who understand, but just like to say it publicly, I like just miss Chris so much. And I'm also so proud of him and the legacy that you guys have created. And it, it means a lot. It means a lot to me. So. Well, I appreciate that too. And, uh, and we'll say stay strong, dopey nation and, uh, fucking toodles. Oh, do you know why they called Chris Okie doodles? Oh dude. I, yeah, it was very basic, I think. But that was it. There was like Okie because of, of his last name. And like, yeah, but but ha- how did it become Doodles? How did that happen? I feel like Ted or Colin might know that. All right, we got to get to the bottom of that. So we'll st- some- Yeah, we got to do some digging, right? We got to do some research into this. Yeah, buddy. Toodles for Chris, man. Thank you, Dylan. Love you, Dave. Love you too, man.